Money laundering is in the news. What do these stories mean? Hi, this is Tom Field, Editorial Director with Information Security Media Group, and we're talking about money laundering today with Kevin Sullivan, a resident expert and AML trainer. Kevin, it's a pleasure to talk with you again. Oh, thank you for having me, Tom. It's a pleasure to be here. So, Kevin, the big news recently was the cease and desist order against HSBC. What's the significance of this? It sounds so so big, cease and desist. Uh, yeah, it does sound kind of uh, Hollywood movie-ish, uh, like the Terminator and the, the cease and desist man. Uh, but basically what it is, is the regulators are saying uh, that HSBC had an inadequate AML compliance program. And the significance of this can be looked at from a couple different perspectives. From a regulatory point of view, an exam of the bank was completed, and there were several deficiencies that they found, such as inadequate staffing and inadequate procedures for closing alerts, inadequate monitoring of correspondent accounts, and inadequate collection of customer due diligence information, and, and inadequate uh, responses with uh, PEP accounts. But and from an, an internal bank perspective, uh, there's going to be many changes in the procedure. You know, and, and in addition to that, uh, a few shekels will uh, be spent updating the program. Uh, no doubt heads will roll and sacrificial lambs will be offered to the banking gods. Uh, and, and finally, uh, a fine will probably be coming down the pike. And the rumor that I hear is that the fine will probably be quite significant in its scope. So, Kevin, what so does Kevin, it mean? What has to cease and desist? Uh, what it really means is that HSBC was creating a substantial risk for money laundering and or terrorist financing. It, it means that in addition to any potential forthcoming fines, uh, HSBC will have to expand and, and, and some spend some serious energy and quite a few greenbacks in revamping their policies and their procedures. Uh, further, it, it sends a message to all financial institutions uh, that the government is pretty darn serious about this anti-money laundering stuff. So, Kevin, as an investigator, as a trainer, you've been around anti-money laundering for a long time. How common are such actions as the cease and desist order, and what really is the underlying cause? Well, regulatory actions against financial institutions are, are not uncommon at all. Uh, but, uh, again, I guess that depends on one's perspective. Uh, there are various types of regulatory actions. Uh, some of them are civil penalties. You have corrective directives. You have the cease and desist, also known as the C&D orders. And you have terminations. Uh, there I go back into that Terminator cease and desist m m movie again. Uh, but between all the various regulating authorities uh, and also the Department of Justice, there's no shortage of enforcement actions. However, if you consider the sheer numbers of the, of the thousands of financial institutions across the U.S., yeah, there's probably only a couple hundred of regulatory actions of varying size and degrees. So you do the math yourself. Is that, is that common or is that uncommon? As, like I said, it depends on what side of the fence you're sitting on. But the, as for the cause of these actions, they're all unique to in, each institution. However, I would say the common denominator is some form of a lack of proper AML and BSA compliance procedures. 
So, Kevin, what's the advice to banking institutions of any size regarding their own AML compliance practices? Well, every AML director, manager, uh, uh, head cheese, big boss, man with the big hat, whatever you want to call him, guy in charge and his executive staff should be reviewing all major regulatory actions. Uh, just problem situations can uh, can be ongoing, uh, and or they could be developing at each and every financial institution, whether it's the one across the street, whether it's the one next door to you, or whether it's yours. Because usually, what happens in one is got a good chance of happening at another one. These are not so unique that they never happen to another institution again. So I, I would think that uh, you should take this time and, and to and to borrow a phrase from uh, uh, the president. This should be a learning moment. Take the time to review and to analyze the issues involved in a major action, uh, such as this one we see at HSBC, and use it to conduct your own look back and see how well your institution stacks up. Kevin, another topic entirely. Recently, FinCEN proposed a rule that would lower the threshold from $10,000 to $1,000 on reporting cross-border transfers. What's the threat here that FinCEN is starting to get ahead of? Well, basically, and, and, and as a retired law enforcement guy myself, I'm loving this, uh, because this basically will assist law enforcement uh, in, as, as many of the core criminal activities, such as uh, narcotic trafficking, human trafficking, terrorist financing, they all have some type of international financial element. So if you make cross-border financial transaction data, uh, and, and now the, the acronym, of course, is CBFT for that. Uh, if you make CBFT's data available, uh, that would provide law enforcement with information earlier and usually at a much more critical stage of the investigation. So if we use the uh, recent example of uh, regulatory actions against uh, Wachovia earlier this year and Amex last year, they were both tagged by the regulators partly due to issues with what's referred to as the black market peso exchange, the BMPE. So being able to provide enhanced cross-border financial transaction data in a more timely manner or earlier uh, manner, that would help ICE, the Immigration and Customs Enforcement, to look into a lot of that uh, trade uh, uh, finance crimes uh, that would help identify new targets and uh, particularly those who are suspected of engaging in trade-based money laundering by some type of international financial payments that appear to be uh, a settlement for irregularly priced goods, which pretty much is the definition for trade price financing. So I hear the law enforcement perspective. This is a good thing. Uh, what's the impact on the banking institutions? I'm envisioning more SARS, more reporting, and, and for them, considering this more compliance headaches. Yeah, yeah. Look, there's no doubt about it. It's, it's going to be more work on their part. But uh, according to FinCEN, they uh, their estimates are that only about 300 depository institutions and approximately 700 MSBs will actually be affected by this cross-border transaction ruling. Uh, I'm sure that it will increase their operational costs as, as additional personnel will be required and uh, associated new systems that go along with that. 
and and of course, uh, as, as we've all been around long enough to realize what's called the, uh, uh, the the law of the unintended consequences, which means that uh, there's always some sort of development and or outcome that no one predicted and ultimately has to be reckoned with. So, bottom line is yes, it, it's going to cause a little more uh, work for certain banks and institutions. Absolutely. Well, Kevin, let's talk about what's new with you. You've been out of law enforcement for over a year now, and you're, you've got your training business going. What are you doing? Well, you know, just just you know, let me let me just refer back to uh, what you said on the impact for one second, uh, if I can. And 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 I'd just like to say, you know, one of the questions that I get a lot from people is, what's this all about? Why do we do this stuff? And and not so much. I don't get that from law enforcement. I, I don't get too many from bankers. But if you ask the regular guy on the street after he hears about some regulatory action that is going to take place at a big bank, and they immediately start thinking it's Big Brother, and, and they ask the question, is this really necessary? So let me, let me focus on that for just a second, if I could take your time on that. You know, uh, that I've had the opportunity to see the effects of money laundering on both the front end and the back end. In, in other words, be, before the finance institution sees it and after it leaves the finance institution. I've seen the crimes that create the dirty money, and I've seen the results of the handiwork of the criminals that commit them. And, and, and this is something that most people don't see, and they only read about in the newspaper or on the Internet. Uh, so it's easy to forget and or never really truly understand why this is such an important issue if you only see anti-money laundering as a paperwork detail. So, so just look at what's going on on, on the border currently. You get the drug lords and, and, and their gangs are absolutely running wild. Uh, look at the recent action incident that happened like the last week or week before in Texas, uh, which is just a, a, an absolute microcosm for current events. The pirates shot and killed uh, a man jet skiing with his wife, and they tried to kill her too. And then the Mexican police investigator who's looked into it, he was killed. And not only was he killed, but he was decapitated, and his head was delivered to the police station. In that, now, I, know, I don't mean to gross out your, your, your audience, Tom, but this is, this is reality. And this is the type of anarchy and lawlessness that is only a stone's throw away from us. So at some point, this will cross into the U.S. So what does this have to do with money laundering, and is it really necessary? Yeah, it is, because how do you think these drug laws get the money that enables them to do what they do? You know, and and the, the quick answer is they deal drugs, and they have more laundered money. And the more drug dealing, the more money laundering. And the more money laundering, the more drug dealing, and so on and so on. So I don't mean to speak to you from on top of some sort of moral high horse here, uh, but there's much more to this AML stuff than just you know, shuffling papers across the desk, and it's really not uh, an issue of Big Brother looking over the average guy's shoulder. This, this stuff cuts to the very fabric of who we are as Americans and the future of our children and our country. And if we're able to put a damper on the means to commit and or continued various organized criminal activity, then that must be our combined focus to do. Well, that segues nicely into what you are doing now, because obviously you've got the, the compulsion from having been a money laundering investigator to now make it your profession in your private life. Yeah, I, I love teaching. I, I love going out and training on, on, on AML and telling some stories and, and, and trying to draw bridges for people from, that may only see this as a paperwork issue and, they, and moving, uh, checking a box and, and moving a paper from one side of the desk to the other. 
And, 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 I, and I like being able to bring to them why they do that and why it's important to check that box and why it's important to send this thing into FinCEN and why it's important to do that. And then it's, it's very nice to see that light bulb moment when they sit in the chairs and they look up and they realize, oh, that's why we do it. And, and that is extremely refreshing to do. And, um, but right now, uh, I, I just finally posted up on my website for the first time uh, a uh, e-training module. I'm, I'm, trying, I'm going more with the uh, higher tech e-training stuff. And I put up a module called BSA Training for New Hires. And hopefully it's just the first one of many. And uh, I tried to make it some engaging and entertaining and a little fun because I hate can't stand those boring, uh, uh, boring either boring speakers or, or boring webinars that, that so many of us have been part of before. So I hope that by making it somewhat engaging, that people will not only uh, learn something from it, but they'll remember it uh, and they'll retain it and they'll be able to recite it back three weeks later. Uh, which is kind of the, the crux of uh, a good adult learning uh, process. Uh, and with that, I think I'm also off to uh, Abu Dhabi and uh, Australia in the next couple of weeks, so uh, I'm looking forward to that. Uh, but that's about, uh, that's about all I'm doing here on this end. Well, Kevin, as always, it's a pleasure to catch up with you, and I appreciate your time and your insight today. Thank you so much. Thank you very much, Tom. I appreciate it. The topic has been money laundering. We've been talking with Kevin Sullivan. For Information Security Media Group, I'm Tom Field. Thank you very much.